So Sherlock Holmes and Dr. Watson went on a camping trip one weekend. Yeah, this is the way it's going to go. And uh, after a night around the campfire, they went to sleep. And about the middle of the night, Sherlock Holmes wakes up and he wakes up his companion, Dr. Watson. And he says, Watson, look up in the sky. What do you see? Watson thinks for a minute and looks up there and says, well, I see millions and millions of stars. And Holmes says, well, what does that mean? And Watson says, well, astronomically, that means there are millions of galaxies and possibly billions of planets. And horologically, that means that it's about a quarter to three in the morning. And meteorologically, it means that we will have pleasant weather tomorrow. Theologically, it means that God is all-powerful and we are small and insignificant. Watson says to Holmes, what does it mean to you? Holmes waits for a second and he goes, Watson, you idiot, someone stole our tent. <laughs> you know, sometimes we just miss the obvious. You know, sometimes we just miss the obvious. Easter's like that. Easter's like that. You know, culturally, the culture we live in, Easter is all about new clothes and 1.5 billion marshmallow peeps will be eaten. That's weird. Culturally, that's what it means. Seasonally, it means it's spring. Academically, it means students are on spring break. Commercially, it's one of the biggest retail holidays in America, more than over $21 billion on Easter-related purchases. But here's what I want to talk to you about, truthfully. The truth is, this day represents Jesus Christ, God's Son, was raised from the dead. And that's the important thing. It's the one thing that separates Christianity from all other world religions. No other religion in the world claims that their leader, their founder, died, went into a grave, and rose to life and is alive today. Only Christianity. That's it. So, now we can start. Welcome to Easter morning. I think you guys all look fantastic. Thank you so much for being here today. We don't believe in random acts. However you got here, we're so glad you're here. If you're watching online, thank you for joining us there. But uh, we are endeavoring to create safe, authentic spaces where people can encounter Jesus. That's where we're about at this church, both in Newburgh, and we also have a campus in Carleton. And uh, not just for adults, but our kids right now are getting some incredible instruction on the level that they can understand. We believe in Babies to grandparents, that's what, that's what we want. But most importantly, we pray that you fill Jesus today. Now, we've been in this series uh, of characters in the Bible. We call it Great Lives from God's Word. And uh, we've covered Moses and, and David, these men and women that show up on the flannel graph from Sunday school. Anybody remember those? Right? And uh, you ever wonder why Moses looked just like every other prophet? I think they just had one. I don't know. Maybe that's what I was thinking about. That was my problem. But... Uh, no, we're, we, we've now, for the last several weeks, we've been on Jesus. Now, he is not just any character in the Bible. He is the character of the Bible. Greatest life ever lived. But we talked about Jesus, the person, how Jesus, the child. And we talked about Jesus, the rabbi. And last week, we talked about Jesus, the substitute. And we culminate this time with Jesus, um, Jesus, the king. And, you know, as I said, I think sometimes we can make the complicated uh, that doesn't need to be complicated because it's obvious. How do you tell a story that everybody knows already? That's the challenge I think that every pastor has on Christmas and Easter because everybody knows the story. Now, here's the deal. The older I get, the more I like to tell stories from the past. Anybody? Um, and here's my one fear, though, is that I'll repeat stories, you know, because you know what they start saying? I was like, oh, poor Dave. A mind is a terrible thing to waste, right? His, his mind is oatmeal, right? 
And, uh, but there are times when I, you know, I got this fascination with history and I'll read something and I'll be so excited and I'll say, okay, have I told you this before? <laughs> you know, and then it's like, uh, no, but we still don't care. <laughs> but, but here we have this Easter story. Next to the birth of Christ, everybody should know this, right? But yet, I don't think it has to be something we come up with that you've never heard before because the story is new and true and fresh. You know, we have four witnesses to this event in the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And they each kind of tell it from their own perspective. You know, if you would uh, uh, experience some kind of calamity or trauma or a seismic event that just kind of shook everything up, you'd look at it differently. You would, somebody says, now tell me what happened in that. You take four different people, they'd all probably pick out four different things that really stood out to them. Some of the things they, one wouldn't even notice and the other one thought it was a big thing. So again, I don't need to prove the resurrection to you because that's God's job, but we have eyewitness accounts of those that were there that we know. We don't even have to talk about this. Jesus lived and he died and he rose again. And we see this in scripture from people who actually witnessed it. And we know from the Sunday accounts, that first Sunday accounts, that Mary Magdalene and a group of women were on their way to the tomb with spices to anoint Jesus' body. And they come up and they see that the stone's been rolled away. There's guards laying there unconscious. And they're like, wow, this is different. Something's happened, right? The Bible says they run back and they tell the disciples. Shock and awe. And then it says that Peter and John run back to the tomb. And this is where John writes in John's gospel, John chapter 20, verse 4 to 8. And it's talking about Peter and John. It says the two were running together, but the other disciple ran faster than Peter. <laughs> now, you know, this has got to be John's book, right? Because he just like, I want to know for eternity that I'm faster. <laughs> I love that. It just kind of hit me, right? I, I can see Peter and John right now having races in heaven. He's like, dude, Peter's like, I wasn't even trying. Let's do this again. Me and you between here and the sea of glass. Let's go. And they're just... Anyway, that's just guys, right? But he says, Peter reached the tomb after John did. John bent down and he saw the strips of linen cloth lying there, but he didn't go in. Then Simon Peter, who had been following him, once again, he's slower, arrived and went right into the tomb. That's just like Peter. And he saw the strips of linen of cloth lying there, the faith cloth, which had been around Jesus' head, not lying with the strips of linen cloth, but rolled up in its place by itself. And the other disciple, John now, who had reached the tomb first, he came in and he saw and believed. And I just want to unpack this a little bit right here before we move on, because this is really good, because John says saw three times. John came in, he saw, Peter saw, and then the both of them went in and saw. Each saw, <laughs> seesaw, uh, each saw is a different meaning. It's three different forms of that word out of the, the Greek. So the first one is it says John just goes in and he saw the strips of linen. It's, it's blippo. It just means to notice without really thinking about it. Like, oh, there's a doorknob. Oh, there's a stoplight. I and mean, we just see it all the time, right? So he, he goes in and he looks and he sees, oh, I see wrappings, but he doesn't really consider the implications of it. And then Peter goes all the way in and he saw or he sees and, and that's called thiero. It's where we get the word theory from. Peter takes it a step further. He, he's looking for clues. The wrappings are not just set aside. Interestingly, the way they, 
talk about how the wrappings being around Jesus' head, and the wrapping, it doesn't mean like they're all wadded up like somebody stripped out of them. It means that they're still in the shape of a body. And even around his head, you know, which it's just like it was there and now there's no body in the strips. Crazy. And then it says John goes back in and he saw for the third time and it says, Edon. That saw means to perceive with understanding. They're like, wait, 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 something else is happening here. Your lady's like, somebody stole him. And they walk in and they see and they believe. And I can just see John look at Peter and go, he's alive. He's alive. And they run and they go tell everyone else. And it's powerful. Sometimes we wonder what we have done at that place. It's awful easy to look. You got a Peter, you got a John, they're Bible people, they're scripture writers. And, you know, they, you got Mary Magdalene. She was there from the very beginning. She's an amazing woman in scripture. And you kind of think, you know, man, these are Bible people. What, what would I have done in that circumstance? What, what would you and I have done if we, well, we're just kind of the, the regular people here? Well, the account goes on to tell of two others. And I think I, I'm not going to put you in that camp, but I think I can relate to these guys. There are two people just like you and me, and they're walking home on the same day. So Easter morning, when other people are running around saying he's alive, these guys are just on their way home. And they had been with Jesus, they'd been with the disciples, but after all the heartache and the drama, they had followed Jesus, but now to them, it must have been over. It was kind of hopeless. It's time to put away those hopes and dreams. Okay, let's go back, let's decide what's next. So they're walking back to their homes. And we read about this in Luke chapter 24, about these two gentlemen on the road to Emmaus. And it says this, starting in verse 13 of Luke 24, now that very day, two of them were on their way to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were talking to each other about all the things that had happened. And this talking to each other really means they were bantering it back and forth. They were, they were taking different sides. They were just like really going at it about this. Jesus himself approached and began to accompany them. But their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, what are the matters you're discussing so intently as you walked along? They stood still, looking sad. Then one of them, named Cleopas, answered, Are you the only visitor in Jerusalem who doesn't know the things that have happened there in these days? And Jesus said to them, What things? <laughs> Do tell. What things? The things concerning Jesus of Nazareth, they said. A man who was powerful in deed and word, proved to be a prophet before God and all the people and how the chief priests and the leaders handed him over to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped it would be different. But we had hoped. But we had hoped that he was still the one who was going to redeem Israel. Not only this, but now it's the third day since these things happened. Furthermore, some women from our group amazed us. They were at the tomb early this morning. And when they did not find a body, they came back and said they saw visions of angels who said he was alive. And then those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but they didn't see him. So Jesus, now speaking to them, says to them, but they don't know it's him, you foolish people, how slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Wasn't it necessary for the Christ to suffer these things and to enter into his glory? And then beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted the things written about himself in the scriptures. Let me just tell you this. The Bible is all about Jesus. This is Jesus' story. Old Testament, New Testament, it's Jesus' story. 
I heard one time said, if you cut a Bible, it's going to bleed because Jesus is all the way through it. So they approached the village that they were going to, and he acted, Jesus, like he was wanting to go further. And they urged him, stay with us because it's getting towards evening and the day is almost done. So he went to stay with them. And when they had taken, when he had taken his place at the table with them, he took bread, blessed and broke it and gave it to them. And at that point, their eyes were open and they recognized him and he vanished out of their sight. Now, I find this encounter amazing and interesting because after Jesus appears to them and then disappears, they run back to Jerusalem as fast as they can and Jesus appears to all the group. They're all in the upper room. But I always thought, what happened to them? They just couldn't see what was right in front of them. Some things are so obvious that we can miss them, you know? Like the tent being gone and we're looking at stars. I mean, some things are so obvious we can just miss them. And here's two of Jesus' followers that were disappointed and disillusioned. Like that never happens in life, does it? He said, <laughs> sarcastically, uh, right? But here, first I see this is that their, their viewpoint lacked a spiritual dimension. It was just their human understanding of the events. You know, they said, Jesus says, what's going on? And he's like, well, there was Jesus of Nazareth. He was a prophet. Uh, he did miracles. We thought God would brought him for this. And then the chief priest convicted him and killed him. They just, they kind of accept the smallness of the situation, don't they? It feels like God is so small. It's just like there's no room for God's hand in this. I mean, never once do they go, wait a minute. What if this was his plan all along? Let me tell you what. If your God fits into the size of your problem, your God is way too small. We love to have things in boxes. Men especially, because we've got boxes for everything. Here's my work box. Here's my home box. Here's my nothing box. You've heard about that, right? That's just like when genuinely there's nothing in that box, but just women can't stand. So what are you thinking about nothing? They don't believe us because women never not think about nothing. But let me tell you what, if your problem is in the same box that God's in, <laughs> then your God's way too small. And these guys are going to learn this. The second thing I notice here is that their own agenda determines their expectations. Remember that we had hoped that this would end differently. They had some expectations on Jesus. They had followed him this whole time and they knew this is the guy. He's going to be the Messiah. And here's what it's going to look like. Just like I've always played it out in my mind. And their own agenda determined their expectations. They said, but we had hoped that he was the one that was going to redeem Israel. Look at all they can see. It's kind of like what they wanted to see happen. I don't know if you ever feel that way. God, I need something to happen in my life. God, I really need you to show up in my life. And just for your own benefit, God, I've taken the liberty to make a few suggestions and I want to write it down and tell you exactly how you can accomplish this in my life. Here's the way I would love to see it happen. Boom, 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 boom. And then I go back and say, God, were you not listening to me? <laughs> Did you not see my simple set of instructions? But you know what? Sometimes my own agenda, my expectations can cloud the truth of what's happening. And the other thing that jumps out to me right here is that, number one, they, they fail to acknowledge the resurrection. I mean, they tell Jesus all this, which they don't know it's Jesus, but they say, and this happened, and this happened, and this happened. And then they say, and furthermore, some women from our group came back amazed. And they say, the tomb's empty, and somebody says he's alive, and there was others that went, and they didn't see it. And then they just like, ah, let's go home. I mean, why would you leave at that? I mean, they failed to acknowledge the resurrection. 
It's like they just gave up. Their perspective was so clouded that it was like, okay, he's dead, and now he's missing his body. I'm out. You know, I, and I know we're looking for the time of history. We're looking at this vantage point. And they were like, you know, we're so bummed. We wanted to be part of a life-changing event. We wanted to see the world change. We wanted to make a difference. And on top of that, there's something that he's alive. <laughs> Hello, isn't that what this is all about? Jesus died on Friday. He was resurrected on Sunday. And they're going back to life as normal. Makes no sense. But yet I do that all the time. I know the truth about today. But does it really sink in to every problem I have and the hope that we can have? It's hard to believe that power of Christ when it's being focused on our life. Sometimes, let me just say it this way, this world will squeeze the faith out of you. I don't want to be too hard on you today because this world will smash you into a mold and it will squeeze the faith out. And everything we hear from culture is going to tell us that it's one way. But I would love for you not to miss this miracle right in front of you. You remember the scripture, be no more, longer conformed to the pattern of this world, but renewed by the, by the changing of your mind. I like what Romans 12, 2 in the message says, don't become so well adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. Instead, fix your attention on God. You'll be changed from the inside out. Readily recognize what he wants from you. Quickly respond to it. Unlike the culture around you, always dragging you down to its level of immaturity, God brings the best out of you, develops well-formed maturity. I love how Luke, is, as a writer, we know that Luke was a physician and he was a research specialist. It says that he researched this out. He wrote not only the book of Acts, but the, the gospel of Luke, and he made interviews and he interviewed people but I love how some writers will give the reader uh, uh, a little piece that the people in the story don't have so he tells us Jesus came and walked among them but they couldn't see him they didn't recognize him so we know who it is right as we read the story we know that Jesus is with him so it kind of makes all the responses seem kind of really lame doesn't it I mean it's like duh Jesus is standing right there and they turn him like hey haven't you heard and Jesus is like "Ooh, do tell right what do you mean this sounds like the end <laughs> Jesus came out of the tomb. He's right there. But these two have missed so much. And Jesus was with them the entire time. But they asked the stranger to eat with them. And when he breaks bread, something powerful happens. They don't know what he did. Did Jesus look like another person? Did they just have blinders on or whatever? But something happened when he prayed, blessed the bread, and broke it. Maybe they had been at the Last Supper, very likely. And they went, wait a minute, we've seen somebody do it just like this. Maybe they hadn't noticed his hands the whole time. And when he reached up to break the bread, they saw the nail prints in his hand. And then Jesus disappears. I love the dramatics. And it was like, whoa, Jesus was with us the whole time. How dumb are we? But it happens to me. We're, we're working our way through life. We're working our way through schooling or we're working our way through our careers or trying to get towards retirement. It's about home. It's about family. And then all of a sudden it happens. Something or someone reduces your life to rubble. 
And God seemed so far from us at the time. But the truth is, Jesus is right there all the time. But there are just these faulty perceptions and almost like we've got these blinders over our eyes. And so what Jesus does for these followers is he begins to kind of unblock this one at a time. There's three different things that he kind of peels off their eyes until finally the last one drops off and they can see it for what it is. And instead of seeing things from a human perspective, it's like choose to view through God's eyes. What would happen if whatever's going on in your life, you choose to view that through God's eyes? We miss so much, just, and we're human, so we think on the temporary. Jesus came and says, you know what, it's about the eternal. But I'm just like worried about tomorrow, and Jesus like, I've got a bigger view than that. And choose to view your life through God's eyes. I'm playing checkers, and he's studying chess, right? He's just like, this is so much bigger. And that's where these guys were. They were looking at the horizontal, and God says, I want you to see the vertical. Stop looking at what's going on around you, don't understand, and cast your gaze up because that's where I'm at. Ask God to give you a divine perspective. That's why I think time in God's word is so important. And I'm not saying, you know, here to make you feel guilty if you don't do devotions, but I'm telling you, every time I open the word, it's a fresh opportunity for me to get God's perspective. I begin to see how maybe small my problems are and say, you know what, God's got this planned for eternity, it's a little bit longer. And my horizontal view all of a sudden becomes a vertical view. Instead of being disappointed because it didn't go as we expected, we need to surrender our expectations. I don't know if you know what is going on with you, but I'll tell you what my problem is. I'm always trying to get the universe to work the way I think it should work. Again, I've got those instructions. And when we just see these guys, they've got their grip around their perspective of we thought it was going to happen this way, but now it didn't happen this way. That great theologian, Kerry Underwood, said, Jesus, take the wheel, right? <laughs> well, somebody needs to take the wheel because I got a death grip on that wheel, right? I got Jesus, you can sit in the driver's seat, but I'm going to drive from over here, right? It's like, something happens when I actually just let my expectations go and I realize, if something happens when I say, God views this differently than me, I'm going to just give this over to you. And it seems like I'm to do that. Then I realize how heavy it was. When I finally turn it over to, Peter said it this way, cast your cares on him because he cares for you. It literally means, man, unload the load off of you and give it to Jesus. And that's the time when I realize I've been, I've unearthed that burden because I feel like I'm carrying the world. Something happens when you realize how heavy it was to carry that weight of expectations. Psalm 37.5 says this, Commit your way to the Lord, tr trust also in him, and what he will bring it to pass. Then Proverbs 3.5, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not into your own understanding. It's letting go of my illusions, my expectations. And then finally, acknowledge the resurrection of Jesus Christ and stake your future upon it. Let me tell you, when you really believe the fact that Jesus resurrected from the tomb, it's going to transform your approach to life. The cross where 
sin was conquered once and for all. But that empty tomb says that I've got life and hope and the ability to keep going when everything appears hopeless. Let me tell you, Jesus is alive, so there's no darkness too dark. It doesn't mean you won't ever go through darkness, but there's no darkness too dark because Jesus is alive. There's no pit too deep. There's no grief too great to overturn because I've got to compare it to the fact that Jesus is our life and our eternal hope. It's that comparison. It's like, I've had a bad day. I'm being persecuted. And Jesus comes and says, really? Let's talk about that. <laughs> Did they pull your beard out? Well, not yet. Did they strip you naked and embarrass you? Well, not yet. They put you on a cross. No. Okay, okay, Jesus, you win. Here's the plain truth. Because the tomb is empty, God can and will do anything. Compare that to your biggest failure. Compare that to your deepest hurt. Compare that to the grief that you experience. It's not over because God has a plan and it's going to be eternal. I love to timeline my own life and say, well, that's never going to happen or because I feel this way or because this has happened. And God says, check out the tomb. There's nothing I can't do. That's the reason God can say, I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. Plans to give you a hope and a future. But have you seen my relationships? <laughs> have you seen what my kids are doing? Have you seen my bank account? Have you seen? I know the plans I have for you. It's plans for hope and a future. Let's just peel off the blinders and be able to see that Jesus is right there with us all along. He's a king. He's a king. That's what we declare today. Jesus is king. You know, I don't mean to be political, but we're never meant to like really love a president. We were built for to have a king. And Jesus is the king. So Cleopas and his friend have never run seven miles so fast in their whole life. The Bible says they turn and they run back and they come busting in the upper room, scare everybody half to death. Say, what are you doing? Wait a minute. Where have you guys been? And they had to say, We almost gave up. It seemed over. Hello? <laughs> we almost gave up. But guess what? He was with us the whole time. And then the bread and disappear. And then the Bible says that Jesus walked into the room. Game changer. I don't know what you're facing. But I know the truth of the empty tomb changes everything. Changes everything. And Jesus is not a long ways off. Some of you have taken a thousand giant leaps away from him. It's only one step back because he's right there. Maybe for most of us who know Jesus, love Jesus, this is a great reminder because I've loved Jesus a long time, but I can still get my problems bigger than him. So this helps me re reset things. But if you're watching online or if you're in the room and maybe you don't have a relationship with Jesus, I just want you to know the truth of this is truth and it can change your life. Doesn't mean that all your problems will go away. I wish I could tell you, come to Jesus and you'll never have another problem. Wouldn't that be good? 
They'd probably put me on TV. No, it doesn't make all my problems go away, but here's what I love is when I come to Jesus, I'm never alone again. He's always right there. So maybe your prayer today will be this courageous prayer to say, Jesus, I want the truth of the cross because of the price you paid and the tomb being in. I want that to matter for my life. I want you to be my leader and my friend. I confess that I can't do this on my own. The Bible says that if you confess your sin, you're faithful and just to forgive you that sin and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. Or perhaps your prayer might be like this. Jesus, would you help me to live tomorrow morning with less of a horizontal view to things and just start looking up and seeing that vertical of what you want to do because you're bigger, you're greater, and your plan is amazing. And he says to us today, I know the plans I have for you. I don't care about the relationship. I don't care about the finances. I don't care about the stuff that's got you focused. I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. Plans for a hope and a future. That's the best offer we'll get anywhere, anytime. Jesus, thank you for your word. Thank you for the truth of the greatest day on the calendar in the history of the world. Thank you that you didn't let sin ultimately win. You just let them think it for a couple days and then you kicked in the door of hell. And because of that, we don't have to do this alone. You're with us. And we have the opportunity to experience you for eternity. Lift our eyes to what's above. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Right after this service, uh, our kids ministry, Life Kids, Janine has put together just a powerful thing for your children. If you have kids with you or grandkids with you, we really want to encourage you to walk right down the hall past the coffee shop into the living room. And there's an incredible journey where kids get to go from Palm Sunday all the way to the Last Supper, to the garden uh, prayers, to the tomb, to the cross, to Jesus coming alive. It's going to be powerful. You'll get just as much or more candy uh, as you will in an Easter egg hunt. But guess what? Jesus comes across loud and clear. It's powerful. I just want to encourage you as you take your kids to do that. And uh, I know that they're going to walk away on their own level of understanding like, wow, that's what this is all about. So you might want to check that out. Definitely with your children. And uh, it's going to be a powerful thing. Until I see you again, which I hope is soon and not next Christmas. I pray that God would bless you and keep you. I pray that he would turn his face toward you. Shine the countenance of his face on your life because he's right there. He's been there all along. God bless you as you go live the life today. Hey guys, this is Pastor Dave. I just want to say thank you for joining us today for this podcast. You know, at Family Life Church, our vision is to create a safe, authentic environment where people connect with Jesus. And we don't believe it's an accident that you joined us today. You know, if this message meant something to you, we would love to hear from you. You can connect with us on our website at myflc.org. Or you can also find us on Facebook and Instagram at Family Life Church Newburgh. And I invite you to subscribe to this podcast and you can listen regularly. And I just want to say thank you and God bless your week.